0: Hello, and welcome to today's event on energy storage. Welcome to those of you watching online and those of you here in the room. My name is Dave Keating. I'm a journalist based here in Brussels, and I'm going to be guiding us through this conversation here at the Euractiv Studios in the heart of the EU quarter. And the subject we're going to be talking about today is a very hot one in Brussels right now. Uh, We know that energy storage is coming increasingly into focus as something very essential. And policy-wise, the European Commission has just put forward its recommendation for energy storage in March, and energy stakeholders have been spending the last several months digesting its implications. Now, as the Commission notes in the recommendation, it's going to be essential to set up a grid and storage system that can accommodate weather-dependent renewable energy sources. But so far, Financing for this at scale has been a challenge. We know that energy storage is going to be a crucial component of Europe's transition to a sustainable energy future. It allows us to capture energy from intermittent renewable sources, the excess energy that doesn't need to be used right in that moment, and store it for a time in the future where the demand is extra high or when the renewable generation is low. And by providing a reliable and stable power supply, energy storage enhances grid resilience, reduces reliance on fossil fuels, and helps mitigate climate change. Now, there's been some promising advances in battery technologies lately, and also interesting innovations in pumped hydro storage. That's water that can be underground. These are driving efficiency gains and cost reductions, making energy storage increasingly accessible and impactful and crucially, more attractive to investors. Today we're going to talk about the potential of energy storage in securing a sustainable future with a stable electricity supply. What are the key challenges and opportunities? And what financing and support mechanisms are going to be necessary? To discuss this, we've assembled an excellent group of panelists to talk about some of these issues. So here in the studio, I'm joined by Paula Pinho, Director for Just Transition Consumers, Energy Security, Efficiency and Innovation at the European Commission's Energy Department. Also, we're joined by Danish centre-left MEP Niels Fugelsgang, who is a member of the European Parliament's Industry Committee. We have Patrick Clarence, who is Secretary-General of the European Association for Storage of Energy. We have Patrick Dembski, who's Vice President of the Management Board for Strategy and Development at the Polish Energy Group Toram. And then joining us remotely online, we have Miriam Ijil-Bardahi, Coordinator of EERAJP Energy Storage at the European Energy Research Alliance. And we have Marilyn White, Managing Director for Capital Mobilization Platform, the, the Climate Finance Fund. Thank you to all of you joining us, whether you're here in person or online. Now, you all in the audience, online and in person, will be able to ask your questions to the audience. You can do that using Slido. So if you're watching this online, you'll see the QR code there. If you're here in the room, you can use your phone to scan the QR code that's on the screen right now, or it's also on the wall there next to you. Uh, Go ahead and type in your questions now. You can um, start doing that right now. And then I can see the questions come in. I'll put your questions to the panelists, at the end of the discussion. So Paula, let's start with a question for you. As I mentioned, the Commission put forward its recommendation just recently. What are its main objectives when it comes to energy storage in the EU?
1: Very good. Well, um, Dave, and you mentioned it, it's it's a hot topic in Brussels. We want it to become a hot topic everywhere uh, in the EU. The fact is, we haven't talked and done enough about uh, storage. It's been under the radar, uh, and now that we've settled on the big targets, the big objectives, as we want to decarbonize our energy system and as we want to head towards climate neutrality, we set the targets for greenhouse gas emission reductions, for renewables, for energy efficiency, now it's there, it's part of the legislation, everybody is committed to it, and the next question is okay, but how are we going to deliver this? And storage is a key enabler if we are to reach the renewables targets, the efficiency targets that have now been agreed with the European Parliament, uh, with, with the Council. So, with the recommendation, we wanted first and foremost to help putting this again in the radar of everyone to make it clear that without storage we will simply not manage to deliver on the energy uh, transition and to really point to what are the low-hanging fruits which do not necessarily require now uh, legislative intervention or or, uh, regulatory uh, 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 new piece of legislation. We said, okay, let's look into what is there already that we can put together and remind member states because this is a recommendation addressed to member states essentially what are the main issues that on which should we should act already now and what are these? well first uh, we need to see uh, to, to, to integrate storage already when we design the network and when we operate the network something which also has been a bit put uh, in the back, uh, uh, boner and less in, in the front, which is the whole grid. If we're planning the grid, and we have the network, uh, uh, the 10-year network development plans, storage is a key element of it. So the message to the member states, when you're planning your grid, think of how storage will come into it in order to provide flexibility, in order for us to really be able to integrate renewables and have the backup that we that we need. It is also about... Uh, indicating that member states, maybe we need to think of how to remunerate uh, the service which comes with storage, because the fact is that there weren't many incentives so far, because uh, uh, um, TSOs, DSOs were not necessarily incentivized to have uh, also storage in place, so it's also look into how we could remunerate what is uh, uh, a service. It's also about encouraging uh, research and innovation, where we know it's absolutely key, and a lot has still to be done on that front. Uh, but our firm belief is that there's really uh, momentum going around it, not just in the EU, actually globally, and where also researchers are looking into this because it is uh, it, it it will be groundbreaking if we finally manage to increase the possibility to st- restore renewable energy. So that's uh, uh, that's why we wanted to have a recommendation which independently of other pieces of legislation on which where we are tac- tackling the question of storage that we can really already identify what can be done already now without further uh, legislation
0: Well, Niels, as Paula mentioned, this is a recommendation, and there's still a lot to do in this area. Um, What type of regulatory framework do you think is needed to be able to increase the deployment of energy storage in the EU?
2: Yeah, so thank you, Dave. Um, And uh, first, I absolutely agree with Paula that storage is um, a thing we have not invested sufficiently in, but that we absolutely need uh, and I'm happy about this focus from the European Commission uh, on, uh, the, the, on the question of storage. I think working in the Industry, Committee, uh, Industry and Energy Committee in the European Parliament, the, the argument against renewables, against green transition that I hear very often is that you know, the wind doesn't always blow and the sun doesn't always shine and then it gets cold. And uh, what can we tell citizens uh, we cannot deliver energy, stable energy to them? So I think that there are uh, options, and we you know if we look at storage, we already made a report in 2020 in the European Parliament uh, looking at different storage possibilities. We pointed at four um, technologies that we thought were, were relevant to invest in, which was batteries um, hydrogen. Um, Uh, Thermal storage, so warming up water, or it could be warming up stones or warming up uh, matter. Uh, And also hydro pumping. Uh, And all of these technologies are available, but we need to invest more in them. I think uh, when it comes to the regulatory obstacles that you are um, asking about, Dave, I think there are a, a number uh, of things we could do, and I think we are doing some of, the, some of these things right now. One thing that I hear often is uh, the question of double taxation. That you actually, um, you know, if you um, produce energy, you are uh, taxed. And then if you store it and then sell it on mm-hmm. later in the future, then you're taxed one more time. And that um, destroys the business case in some uh, cases, uh, so that we don't have the necessary investments in storage. There are many, uh, let's say, factories or um, yeah, enterprises that that have the, that are thinking about. I know from my own country to invest in storage in order or to also be able to sell energy further on down the road. But some of them are saying, well, it doesn't, uh, it's not worth it because then we're taxed. And now I think. My own country, Denmark, um, we've recently changed these double taxation rules. So we are realizing that uh, it wasn't a very good idea to have that. But I think that varies very much in the member states, how the taxation, and some of them still have double taxation. So I think that's one important thing that we need to look at. I'm not sure what we can do about that from an EU level. The taxation policy is member state uh, uh, authority, but we can certainly encourage uh, member states to, to look at this. Then I would also point that um, we have um, just adopted the energy efficiency directive, um, and here um, we have for the first time um, managed to have uh, the principle which we call the energy efficiency first principle um, made uh, legal, legally binding. So it means that when member states plan new energy projects, they need more energy, perhaps and they consider expanding the energy production, having more uh, wind turbines, having more um, production, they need to first make the analysis, can we actually achieve the goals that we want to achieve by, instead of increasing energy production, then increasing energy efficiency. If we could uh, make storage possibilities better, if we could make uh, the grid system more flexible, perhaps we have actually the energy we need. We just need to stop wasting it and store it instead and then use it when, when, it, when it pays off. So I think that's, um, I hope, you know, we just adopted, it. it was signed last week, the Energy Efficiency Directive, and was just published. And now um, I hope, uh, it's, it's our hope that uh, the Energy Efficiency First Principle will also push these uh, storage solutions.
0: So Patrick Clarence, you're representing (coughs) the people who are implementing these solutions. What do you think is needed in terms of a regulatory framework and how can this go hand in hand with financing solutions that get these projects actually done?
3: Thank you for inviting and thank you for your question. So, One point is very clear. If you want to achieve, and Paula said it, the targets of 2030, 2050 without exploding the costs, we need to have energy storage in the system. It's not possible otherwise. Today we pay billions, we all consumers pay billions in Europe for curtailment and redispatch of renewable energy sources. And we want to triple the PV until 2030, we want to double at least uh, even more the, the, the wind until 2030. We will not build double as much lines by 2030. So if you want to have the cost reduced for the consumer's curtailment and redispatch, if you want to avoid wasting electricity like Nice just said, energy efficiency. So we make a lot of renewable electricity. Why do we waste it? Why do we curtail? And if you really have a park next to a wind park which is not turning because you had to curtail it due to the grid, I'm not sure that the population will accept that you put a second one next to it because they, they don't see the need for this. So it is mandatory that we manage to increase the consumption of this green and indigenous energy which we produce. Therefore we need Lines and flexibility, but also energy storage, which can be lowered very fast. But it is not clear for the moment if the investor should invest in energy storage or in wind or photovoltaic, because there's a lot of support schemes still around, and they are known, they are used to this. Storage is new. The first movers made a lot of money in the last years, because the more volatile the electricity prices get, the more you can earn money with energy storage. The energy storage part therefore reduces the peak prices by releasing electricity in the system when the prices are high. So therefore you have more supply and the prices go down. And when the prices are very low, we get it out of the system so that we're ready for the next injection. So storage in a large scale has a role to play in there. But the cost, and like you said, the double taxation is killing the business case for a lot of these, so it's twice taxed as consumption, once when you store it, once the final consumer has it. Then the grid cost is another question about it. And finally, for the market design, and the Commission proposed it now also, it's very good, about having the transmission system operators, the distribution system operators, not only looking at the capital expenditures they have to do, but also at operational costs they have to do. If a regulated entity is moving towards a more complex energy system, and they need to have more money spent on operational issues. It is just normal that the added cost by managing storage, by managing demand-side response, by managing all the new uh, activities, is then also recuperated in the grid costs. So that's something which is absolutely needed. Otherwise, there's only an interest to invest in capital expenditure because there the revenue is calculated on. So we need a signal and the Parliament asked In 2020, for energy storage strategy, very clearly in their own initiative report, we have seen that the Commission says it's a good idea to maybe look into this. And we have seen that some member states have targets and come very clear forward with what we need for energy storage. If we want to have the same drive and visibility for investors as we're in the renewables and the prices went down fast, then we need to do the same for energy storage. We need to have a European very clearly endorsed by every member state energy storage strategy.
0: Let's go to our panelists joining remotely. Uh, Miriam, let's go to you because you can really guide us through some of these the technical uh, uh, developments here. So what are the most exciting technical advances that have taken place in energy storage? And what remains as the biggest challenge to deployment of these technologies?
4: So good morning, everyone. Also from my side, can you hear me well? I hear a yes. kind of echo okay also from my side thank you very much for inviting me as part of the european energy research alliance and my apologies for not being able to join you there physically in brussels so regarding your question while talking about the most exciting technical advances i would say most of us think about lithium-ion batteries and power electronics right why because they have had a huge impact in our society in our smartphones Uh, laptops, tablets, and now are allowing low carbon transport, immobility, as well as the integration of renewable energy into the grid. Uh, Still, there are some challenges that need to be taken to allow the fully deployment of this technology, at least in the mass that we need to achieve the energy transition, I would say. So in my view, we also need to look for other cost-efficient technologies that at the same time are less demanding on critical raw materials like, for example, metal air batteries or sodium ion batteries, which, by the way, are also available now on the market. But not only batteries. Other energy storage technologies, such as mentioned before, pumped hydro, hydrogen, power tweaks, flywheels, thermal storage, and most important, the interplay of these technologies will have a crucial role for the further development of the energy system because we need to develop storage solutions that, first, offer flexibility to the grid, mentioned before as well. Second, can store energy on different time scales, and this is also very important. Depending on the application, we need one or another energy storage technology, and at the same time, are much more efficient and economic than already existing storage solutions. So I would also like to highlight that one of the biggest challenges to achieve a clean energy transition by 2050 remains seasonal energy storage, which means we don't know how to save the energy for the winter because so far we have been using fossil fuels and this has to change if we want to decarbonize Europe. So therefore, to, to me, to achieve a successful energy transition, we need to consider different aspects. We need a combination of all sectors, including transport, electricity and heat. We need the integration of all levels of energy use in terms of end users as well as industry. And last but not least, we need the establishment of a circular economy to reduce our dependency on critical raw materials. And in my opinion, this will be only possible through the interplay and the combination of different energy storage technologies.
0: Thanks a lot, Miriam. So let's go to Marilyn next. So Marilyn, you've been working on some research into some of the challenges here. How can we get financing flowing to the types of solutions we need for energy storage? What have you found?
5: So thanks for having me. I'm also um, sorry I can't be with you today in person. I'm hearing an echo. Can you hear me?
0: Yep, you're okay.
5: Okay. So... Um, Greetings from from Paris. Sorry, I can't be with you today in person. Um, So yes, we have been backing um, a number of initiatives, a number of studies at the Climate Finance Fund that touch on this issue. First, let's take a step back and really paint a picture as to how investors approach energy storage. Energy storage is not a financial asset class, right? So investors are thinking about investing in either a technology, a project, Or the credit worthiness of a a consumer that could be an individual household, could also be a company, of course. So really, you have to think about how would an investor actually approach this uh, sector called energy storage? And so what is the new technology that's going to have the high growth and the breakthroughs? What is the project? Is it does it pencil out? What are the incentives for that project to actually bring the returns the investor is seeking? And for the creditworthiness of the co- of the consumer, well, if they're a low income consumer, for example, how can the government and other actors step in to render that possible? For example, through heat pumps and other um, you know behind the meter type of storage. So let's go back to the basics. Other people have mentioned already today. There are these five different kinds of energy storage possibilities. So you have gravitational or pumped hydro, chemical in the form of mostly lithium ion batteries, but other compositions as well. Mechanical, so that's flywheels or compressed air energy storage, and thermal, um, including the stones and the salt that was mentioned earlier. And what we believe is not viable and that has been overly hyped is hydrogen storage. So really, um, you know, in 2022, there was about 4.5 gigawatts of battery storage in terms of new capacity in the European Union. That's not anything to brag about. China, for example, did almost double that in the same period, um, and. That's fine. That's part of the, the overall five different categories, but we're seeing an underinvestment in the other kinds of um, energy storage possibilities, including pumped hydro and including um, mechanical and thermal storage. Um, so that's just the, the kind of um, landscape of how an investor, especially not from a technology perspective, would approach um, the sector. The second aspect of um, investing in energy storage in the European context, in any context, is being aware that there are already these sacrifice zones. Sacrifice zones are areas um, in the broader community that are viewed by investors, by governments, by the community, by, um, by the society as being able to be sacrificed because the people who are there are considered less than. And this is a big problem. So this, these new energy storage technologies, they can be helpful in reducing those inequities and so on. Only if, as a part of the diligence criteria for investing, there is a recognition of the sacrifice zones and the ways that that can be remedied. For example, there's a very famous landfill in Romania where Roma people live, called Patarat. People are exposed to arsenic, lead, mercury, and other pollutants. So bringing in, you know, toxic hydrogen storage may not be the best way to go. Perhaps consulting the community first, and actually having an investment that works for both people and planet is the way to go. So that's part of the landscape that's needed. Um, With respect to your question around one of the reports that we're backing um, by Zoe Institute in Germany, one of the things they have found preliminarily that really supports other studies that others have um, done on this topic is really to prove that um, hydrogen does not have a role has a very small role as any role, especially with respect to heating. So in the case of Germany in particular, only 10% of households are actually in any kind of zone where there's a planned hydrogen pipeline. Um, and it's very unlikely that they would be able to have access, not to mention all the other issues that come with being near such explosive and, and you know, uh, there are all kinds of safety issues around, around that um, technology. So the money would be better spent, investment would be better spent on renewable energy, uh, plus batteries, including lithium-ion but not exclusively, heat pumps, and other technologies.
0: Thanks a lot, uh, Marilyn. So let's move on to Patrick Dembski. Um, What are Toran's general experiences with energy storage? And are there any projects that you've been working on that have already been implemented? What have been the lessons learned with what you've done so far with energy storage?
6: Good afternoon, David. Thank you for the invite invitation for this great discussion. Well, maybe some details about the Tauron. We are the second largest Polish energy group. So still this year, at the last day of last year, we saw the three mines Last that we have. We still have coal power plants inside. We'll transfer and sell it at the end of the year. And we are the biggest distributor of the energy and we are in the middle of the race with the other big funds to build a renewable energy system in Poland. So feel free, we like in the microscope to show the European Union how it's focus in one company, all these constraints and problems with the green transition. Because we like to think that European Union is the brightest star on the, uh, on the energy industry sky, but it's not. We are facing really deep problems with the grid constraints through the transition which we all are in because we are, you know, like I said, racing with the others. When we start this revolution in 2021, we got uh, 0.6 megawatts in renewables Will and this uh, like three years now, it will be four gigawatts. So we're racing very fast. Imagine in Poland, we got already 15 gigawatts in PV. So that's a huge acceleration acceleration, uh, story of success every year five more gigawatts in Poland so when I go back to my family after the meeting there will be still few megawatts more in Polish system so it's rapidly going growing but what's the, the problem with the with the, this big revolution of the renewables what we think well when you compare to the other companies we all have strategy on uh, on the grids, on the flexibility of the grids, of the preparation and, and being part of this race with building the renewables. But most of the companies forget or try to f- or wait for the strategy of European Union on the energy storage, and that's the big mistake. Because it's combined together. From our perspective, it should look like this, that when you buy a solar p- p- panel of the PV, it should be uh, some part that you should remember, there should be a sign build an energy storage why because it will cost us all so we're trying to catch up the the development of the energy storage and wheel but as you said there are no incentives in the in the business the second problem is of course the decision the administration decision still remember that most of the big energy storage are treated like a source so it's a huge problem because it's racing still with the with the renewables so This is a remedy for the problems with the energy valley, with the um, peak inflation of energy when it's shining and it's windy. And it should be treated like a remedy, not as a problem. (coughs) And in most of the countries it is. So it's not easy. I would say that we have to be uh, focused on that. And we very, very warm welcome all the initiatives from the European Union, which help us to understand where we are going. Because there was some good signs on the uh, repower EU, some good, significant uh, signs in the red, but we're still waiting for the new perspective of energy market design and a big, great, complex, um, maybe not so uh, um, resolving all the problems, but but briefly prepared strategy for the energy storage. We need it. You know, when you're facing the problems and when you're racing with all these big funds, like I don't know australian pensions fund canadian pensions fund us funds to build the renewables then you know that you're responsible for the security of energy of your clients so you are not able to race as fast as them because they don't care about the energy transition about the, the green turn about the possibilities about the responsibility on the market they just want to end the money or save the money to the inflation to the pensionary clients but this is not our goal we are <laughs> racing in the in the same In the same race but we are you know we have on our shoulders big bargain um, which is called the energy storage the problems with the transformation energy with the security energy for our clients and and the perspective because the poland is not the spain what to do in winter and 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 this is the big problem what we're having so this is the the general case that you know some people said that when we prepare strategy and we join the european every constraints that we have will go apart (laughs) This is completely different. We just you know, spin the other circle. We are just going um, faster and faster in this problem. And still at the end there is a security of our business and of our clients.
0: So I can tell how hot this topic is because we've already had tons of questions come in on Slido. I'm gonna go to those soon. I just have a, a couple questions I wanted to ask the, the panelists. One is about um, permitting and regulation. So Paula, uh, there's an interesting dichotomy here because Marilyn was referring to this idea of sacrifice zones, so zones that uh, maybe policymakers or regulators aren't concerned about but for the wrong reasons. right? When it comes to permitting, a big complaint we hear, especially with big energy storage projects, is that the permitting process is very difficult. But at the same time, some of these solutions can be hazardous to neighboring communities. It's possible you could put these in the wrong place. How do you think Member States should get this balance right and are there particular sites that would work really well for energy storage, say like a decommissioned coal plant or something where the, the infrastructure is already there? Yeah.
1: Thank you, Dave. Um, indeed, this issue about the permitting and the acceleration of the permitting and how to balance uh, the deployment of renewables, uh, in this case also storage, uh, while uh, notably still respecting, of course, all the environmental uh, framework, it's been one of the very, very hot discussions um uh, with the with the european parliament with the council so in the end we did um, uh, manage to have in the red which was now adopted uh, to to grant uh, uh, the possibility to have um, accelerated permitting for energy storage which is combined with renewable energy uh, projects so this is clearly Uh, a a good step uh, in the right direction because it will uh, allow to accelerate the permitting while still bearing in mind, of course, that we are not uh, uh, questioning uh, the the need to uh, comply with the environmental um, legislation. But it's been absolutely key because we've seen it and we've seen it in general when it comes to infrastructure that very often uh, the environmental rules have been uh, invoked simply to delay... Uh, projects, so you really say need, as you say, to strike the right balance in making sure that, of course, uh, rules are not abused, that uh, uh, an accelerated process is not uh, abused, but at the same time that it does not become a key obstacle in the deployment um, of, uh, of a new uh, generation of renewables and in uh, the, the possibility to have storage, which is uh, uh, underpinning it. So. Step in really in the right direction in the sense that this has been recognized; it can be considered uh, uh, um, uh, as um, as uh, overriding interest. Uh, if deployment of renewables comes with, with uh, storage and then, of course, uh, also benefiting from, the, um, from an accelerated permitting process.
0: So, Niels, Paula mentions this possibility of accelerated permitting if you're combining uh, renewables and storage. That's, I guess, the carrot approach. What about a stick approach? Uh, should we be thinking about making permitting harder to set up renewables installations that don't come with storage?
2: I don't think so, Dave. I think uh, I, I'd rather go with the carrot approach. Um, I think we we don't have enough storage, but we don't have no enough renewables either. Mm-hmm. So I don't think we should make it more difficult to uh, to make renewables. I think we should. I think the fast track or the overriding mm-hmm. public interest approach is the right one. And I think we are making a, a number of legislative acts right now, when we talk about the renewable energy directive, but also when we talk about the net zero industry act. Uh, that are meant to speed up the permitting uh, procedure for renewables and for storage. Uh, By the way, we're also uh, uh, trying to to agree on faster permitting for mining in Europe when it comes to these critical raw materials that we also need for storage. For example, when we talk about batteries, that we're so dependent on uh, China, for example, uh, right now, and that we need to be able to um, be more uh, self-reliant or uh, uh, um, self-supplying when it comes to these uh, critical raw materials and our technology. So I don't think we should make any permitting procedure more difficult when it comes to both renewables and storage. We should rather use the the carrot approach. Then one comment uh, perhaps I could say to Marilyn, uh, I think you are a little bit fast in saying that uh, hydrogen, if I understood you correctly, that hydrogen is not of any interest when it comes to storage. I can say in my own country, Denmark, we are making these huge um, energy islands, we call them, huge wind turbines in the northern sea, and uh, they will produce more electricity than we will be able to use in Denmark. So the plan is here to store a lot of the energy by uh, producing hydrogen. And then we will not use it to uh, warm up buildings, but we will uh, use it for uh, fuels for airplanes and ships, and also in our industry. So I think that is also, as far as I'm concerned, the way of uh, an approach to, to,
0: to storage. Yeah, let's talk about hydrogen a bit. So Patrick Clarence, how do you see the potential of hydrogen when it comes to storage?
3: First of all, I must um, repeat that there are five different families on storage. It's important that we need them all. And we heard some of them and, 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 and others not. So we have them on our webpage. It's electrical storage, there are capacitors, supercapacitors, where you store the electrons as they are. It's mechanical, pump hydro, compressed air, liquefied air, flywheels, all this part. We see that there's this chemical, hydrogen, synthetic fuels, everything related to this. We have the um, electrochemical, which is most used, the batteries for the moment, and there we have a huge family of batteries. It's not only lithium-ion, and we will need them all. we heard some of them. Miriam mentioned some. There You can add uh, flow batteries, where they are most efficient with vanadium. Vanadium has been found in Norway. In Norway they found 50 years of global demand vanadium. We have this in Europe. We don't need to import anything for these types of batteries. So there are batteries, where we don't have any cobalt, any critical raw material, anything else. And we have the raw material in Europe, so some batteries are very useful. And then we have the last one, which is the thermal, half of the energy which is used to heat and keel, heat and cool buildings. So we need to really look in this huge potential because it's very cheap to store it there. So that's a, a basis. How will each technology be used? I can say it depends on the applications. Will hydrogen be needed? Yes, it will be needed. We personally believe it will be needed today to decarbonize industry. There are a lot of industrial processes, as you just said, who needs green hydrogen, decarbonized hydrogen. We also see that transport sector needs it, we cannot go with batteries flying to the States or, or, or with batteries going to, to Asia to buy the goods. Even this will probably reduce if we continue like this to put up the drawbridges. Um, and the, the last point is that uh, before we re electrify hydrogen, probably it will take some time because we have a big use for other applications for the moment. So I, I, it has a role to play. Hydrogen is energy storage, it's following the definition in the clean energy package, electricity in and any other part which stores the energy out, it's energy storage, which is needed in the system, but it's not one technology of the fires, which would be the panacea in solving all solutions. We need them all. And just on permitting, maybe, in Portugal, if you have a, a public procurement for, for renewables, you get bonus points if you add storage to it. So it's uh, another carrot which is given. It's
1: much better if you mention that
0: example. <laughs> <than the laughs> yeah. what a brand Good brand idea, clever idea. Brand Patrick Dembsky, um is the po- the the potential of hydrogen and storage something that Toran has looked at?
6: Yeah, we spoke about it two days ago <laughs> about the approach of the Commission and the uh, member states to the hydrogen. Well, uh, there are good steps and good signs uh, on the on the on the on the way of of having green hydrogen in our portfolio, but still not enough. Eight hundred millions in the hydrogen bank it's not a lot to be honest it's for the three big installations maybe four so if we really need to have this green turn on green hydrogen we need to inject more money of course there is a mechanism for the uh, incentive for the national mm, countries to inject some money but from our perspective probably we would like to see it at the beginning maybe more injection of the money the second problem with, with what I see is uh, that maybe we should focus on the, on the good side uh, and uh, the advantages that Europe already has because, as you mentioned, we are squeezed by the real materials from China and it's not easy. I'm telling this as a third-world battery uh, supplier because Poland it is. We got a huge investment on that. So we decided, as a big uh, member of the energy industry, to build a second life energy storage system. So we, uh, right now, have a, It will be open this month, or maybe at the beginning next month. So we are buying from the vehicles, actually from the bus, because they are 150 kilowatts. So we can add it, and we are preparing the uh, energy storage on that. Why? Because it's circular economy. It's produced in Poland. It's Polish engineers who figure out how to use it. And it's in European Union, so when we'll sometimes have a carbon border adjustment mechanism or the other uh, uh, fantastic tools, we don't have to be shame on that and we have to f- focus and show it, yes, it's already in Poland, we will use it, as, also as a part of the transition of the energy system second on the second hand, the second hand I, I, I really think that we need maybe if the European Union will agree on that, maybe we need an energy storage bank. Maybe it's not a, maybe it's not a bad idea. If we start in hydrogen market on that, okay, it's not enough, but we've started to talk about it. It will grow the money inside. Maybe we should do it the same in the energy storage because. When we talk with the funds and the banks, then they don't see any incentives on that. And sorry, but I don't believe in the hydropower plants because we got strong environmental problems on that. You all know that. I strongly believe that we should do on the part and taking this part as a as a as a leverage to other um, advantages with the with the showing to, uh, to the world that we are. Um, giving the money to those who want to build uh, energy storages, because it's very important. There is no other grid flexibility than these storages. That's the main fact What we are facing. We all are talking about the flexibility. I was yesterday on the panel and, uh, with the solar PV and they say, give me flexibility, give me flexibility. I say, okay, but what we should do? We invest every year 1 billion euros for the grids. And remember, most of them is the cost of the PV and the wind solar power plant. Why? Because we have to share So everybody pays for that. But no one gains at the end. So if you won't manage this problem, probably we'll have problem with the energy price in Europe. And we have to do it right now. So the energy should be a twin to every every hybrid. Because as you said, in Poland, there is probably most of new investment in the renewables, they are hybrid ones. so. You are doing the same. It's we have the, the 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 virtual power plant when we combine all those three together: water, wind, and solar. We are combining and selling as a as a green energy, but then at the end should be a storage on that. Because it gives you the whole perspective of the 24 hours to manage your energy and to sell it where it's needed. You know, every Monday in my job, because we are you know developing economy very fast and all the majors are building on my on our uh, grids, uh, new uh, investment in factories, it's like give me 200 or 300 green megawatts. It's not so easy because I know if I will give them, I will have the problems to inject and put to the grid all those people who want to live there, right? So it's, it's not easy and not equal. In a company like ours, it's like in microscope, you can see all the problems with that. Rapid development of renewables, Five kiva walk every year. Imagine, every year in next work we have in Poland like over twenty. It's a, it's a huge story. It's ma- far more than we have right now in the in the regular ones.
0: Um, yeah, go ahead. Very short.
6: Yes, I think it's very important to distinguish,
3: and that's what you mentioned before, Patrick. Also, flexibility is matching the demand and the supply at the moment, and you have a lot of tools. And demand side response can help, and 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 uh, driving down industry and and cutting off. or or having backup generation. That's for the moment. But when we talk about going to a decarbonized society, we need to shift big amounts of energy to a later moment of use. So this is not covered by flexibility. You can have a lot of electric vehicles. You have a lot of flexibility. But they will not help you to shift the energy a week later or a month later. They will not do this. So, you, if you talk about flexibility, be aware that it's the flexibility on the moment to balance, but also the energy shifting which is needed in this flexibility. Right. So, it's very high, very important to highlight both. Otherwise, we end up with a lot of flexibility sources for an hour or two hours. And I so, not
6: believe the demand side responsible for the regular customers. Mm. I don't think so. We got six million customers. What we should do that they should regulate or they should. You know, uh, say that they won't use energy. It's impossible, almost impossible. They are booming. They all want to have their own PVs on the roof. That's the directory. We got one and a half million of clients which have already their own PVs in Poland. And we got 10 million households. So Mm -hmm. this is going crazy, you know. This is a big constraint and big problem in the future.
0: Um, Marilyn, so Patrick Clarence mentioned that they identify five families of. Possible energy storage. Which of those families or which types of energy storage do you think policymakers should be prioritizing? Um, and and four, four, the, out four out of the four. Four out of the four. Yeah, it was, that's, a, that's yeah, possible. the gravitational,
5: the chemical, mechanical, and
0: thermal. Great, right. yeah. go for oh, it. Yeah. And so, when when policymakers are are looking at the, the, the various possibilities there, do you think that hydrogen should really be a non-starter or that there's more skepticism about it. Also, I wanted to ask you about this idea of an energy storage bank. So for the EU, we now have the hydrogen bank. And so the idea would be to do something similar with that. From your perspective, from a financing perspective, would that be helpful? No, I mean, so
5: it depends on what the goal is. If the goal is to create a decarbonized society that works for everyone, then that is not a great idea. If the goal is to extend the life of fossil fuels in the fossil fuel industry, then by all means, that's a great investment thesis. But if we are about solving climate change, keeping the planet well below two degrees Celsius, within 5, 1.5 degrees Celsius of, of warming by 2050, then there's no room for a massive investment in hydrogen storage, especially when we're not investing sufficiently in the other four categories of energy storage. I really appreciate the former comment about the need for long-term storage, right? More than a few hours. We need to be investing in what will be increasingly large rainy seasons, long rainy seasons, where there won't be sufficient amount of, of many of the natural resources that we rely on today and extensive droughts. So we definitely need to shift the investment towards solutions we understand that if you scale today, and the new breakthroughs that we need for tomorrow. And so those four things of gravitational and chemical and mechanical um, and thermal are vastly underinvested in today, especially within the European context. I mean, literally, hydrogen is a greenhouse gas. You can't make this up, right? It's a greenhouse gas responsible for 2.3% of greenhouse gas emissions annually. I don't understand why we are performing all this money, $13 so far. Um, from, the, from the EU public coffers into a technology that we know is causing harm. It's explosive, it's a greenhouse gas, it escapes, and it's vastly inefficient. I mean, the efficiency is <laughs> based on any other thing you compare it to any other form of storage makes absolutely no sense. So um, with respect to aviation, it's an interesting question. Someone brought it up earlier. Um, of course in some geographies not in, not within the European Union but some geographies there, there's not great rail services so for a long, for a short haul um, aviation there you know the electric uh, airplanes are a thing now we've reached the breakthrough the, the pilot flights have, have started. Um, we've invested in um, gigaton scale uh, venture capital funds that are are, are are definitely investing in electrifying aviation for those shorter haul flights. Now, if aviation is the last oh, thing, sorry. we can... Just to,
0: just to interrupt, I don't want to get too sidetracked on hydrogen sure. here. Sure. Just to clarify, uh, you are opposed to a hydrogen bank, not... I was asking about an energy storage bank, which doesn't exist yet. But the idea that Patrick had brought up that we could have one, I imagine you wouldn't be opposed to that, right?
5: An energy storage broadly, yes. Well, actually, to do what again? What are we trying to do? Are we, are we trying to create more credit worthiness? for bankers to underwrite this? Are we trying to create more venture capital for the breakthrough technologies in storage? Or are we trying to uh, scale the various projects that need to get off the ground? So it really depends on what we're trying to achieve with financing.
0: Um, Miriam, I th- you wanted to come in, I think on this idea of an energy storage bank or?
4: No, I will I uh, just yes to to mention because you ask which technology will the, be the one to solve the storage problem. So it is important to mention that it's not a single silver palette solution, a magic technology that will solve all the problems because we need to consider that the future energy system will be much more decentralized, disaggregated and multi-vector. So a combination of different storage technologies is needed for that. This is what we need. Uh, what we call hybridization of energy storage and this is what we need to do in the future we need to combine the different storage technologies because um energy storage technologies provide the opportunity to benefit from the advantages and at the same time to compensate the drawbacks of the single storage technologies alone so before it was mentioned um uh, vanadium redox flow batteries so This is another example of hybridization between batteries. Redox flow batteries had a low system efficiency, 50 to 70%, but a higher lifetime, 20 years. If we combine with lithium-ion batteries, which have a high system efficiency, up to 95%, but a low lifetime, 10 years, the hybrid system has both above average lifetime and efficiency. This is an example of a hybrid energy system. We can also combine uh, lithium-ion batteries with supercapacitors. There are many other possibilities. And at this point, I'd like to mention that uh, we are coordinating an Horizon 2020 project called STORIES, where we aim at developing a roadmap, as well as a strategy, research and innovation agenda for hybrid energy storage. So we will identify how the future European landscape will look like and we will define future hybrid applications at both levels mentioned before, in front of the meter and behind the meter, as well as we will propose possible storage solution to fulfill all these needs. So I think it's very important that we don't come in one only single uh, storage technology, but we have to have the focus on all of them. Don't forget
0: a single technology. So, Paula, I'm curious to get your response to both of these issues. One on hydrogen, how the Commission views mm-hmm. the possibility of hydrogen for storage, and also this idea of an energy storage bank. Is this something the Commission has thought of? <laughs> uh,
1: thank you, and also for the, for putting forward some, some ideas. Well, first of all, I fully agree that we need all uh, energy storage technologies. Uh, we cannot just bet in one. We will need them, and we will need them uh, uh, possibly uh, uh, all. So and that's also ha- what's been our approach f- when it comes for instance for the fund to the funding and uh, and i I'm, I'm glad that uh, Marilyn also mentioned the um, the uh, 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 Miriam Mer- mentioned the uh, uh, horizon twenty two uh, 2020 uh, storage project it which is one example uh, among many where indeed we are putting the eu uh, money in terms of research and 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 invasion and, and developing uh, this. Then, in terms of the of the hydrogen uh, as a carrier and as a, as a as a possibility also to store energy, uh, and also just uh, reacting to, to Marilyn's uh, 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 statement, first of all, we are of course focusing on green hydrogen, so produced from renewable energy sources and then electrolyzers, and that explains why um, there is a going. Uh, capital and and also political efforts uh, into this. And as, as said, we see a role for green hydrogen um, uh, also in, in, in the decarbonisation of what we call the hard-to-abate uh, sectors, notably, where we will also need it. So I think here it's really um, making sure that we have as many technologies as possible and then uh, that we uh, use them according to what is their best potential, and really, it's uh, it, they differ depending on what exactly do we need. And, and, the, hyd- and the the storage bank, sorry, um, we we will bring. I will bring this idea back. Uh, I'm a big friend of storage and everything we can do to promote uh, to promote storage. Uh, and uh, why not?
0: Who knows, yeah? Yes. It's, it started here, remember that, if the it happened. The can ask <laughs> for the next commission. Um, OK, I'm going to go to the questions that have come in from the audience. Uh, Niels, I'll put this first question to you. This question is from Marc Defren. Electricity storage is mainly the result of intermittency of renewables, wind and solar. How can the market be redesigned so that all the costs of storage are charged on the shoulders of these renewables, including a revision of the merit order? So should the renewables generators be the ones to pay for the storage of the excess that they're generating? I think um,
2: you know, I'm, I'm I'm not sure that uh, I, I don't look at it in, in that way. I think that uh, when we talk about storage, I think there are lots of opportunities uh, that does not necessarily cost that much uh, money when we when we look at uh, what I would call demand side flexibility. I think you said you didn't believe so much in, in that. Uh, I don't know if we're talking about the same thing. But uh, if you look at, uh, for example, people who have uh, electric vehicles um, that can charge uh, batteries uh, when uh, there's a lot of electricity and then they can uh, sell the electricity or put it onto the grid when there's not so much electricity, I think that doesn't necessarily cost uh, a lot of money. That that requires more flexibility or a better, uh, a more flexible system and also perhaps some digital solutions so we can see when the price is high, when the price is low, when it makes sense to charge your vehicle, when it makes sense to, s- to sell energy. Um, so I think some of the, for some of the solutions, I think we need more flexibility and some demand-side responses. There are other examples, many other examples of demand-side responses that uh, promote storage uh, solutions. Um, for other types of storage, well, you know what? I think um, when we look at the situation today, uh, I think that fossil fuels are way uh, too cheap compared to renewables because they don't pay the real price of the harm that is being done in the climate. I'm not so much in favor of putting more uh, costs on renewables that they have to pay uh, you know a lot of money for this uh, for these storage solutions. I think uh, rather that uh, we should uh, we should have a price on fossil fuels that um, represents the real price when we t- take into account the harm being done to the environment and climate, and perhaps some of those uh, some of um, some of that money uh, that is being uh, cha- that we could add as tariffs on fossil fuels, I think they could be brought into uh, storage facilities but i'm I'm not about uh, putting extra burdens on renewable uh, energy companies. I think that's what we need more of. So we don't need to put more burdens on those.
0: We need less of the fossil fuels, and I think they need to pay, pay more. Patrick Clarence, let me put that question to you as well. And I'll also read out, we had a reaction to the question from Mike Parr. Uh, who says, why should renewables be charged for anything in response to that question? Given it is an energy system change, what relevance do markets have? Given that markets are only price optimization mechanisms, they are functionally incapable of system change. Um, What do you think? Should renewable generators be the ones to pay for energy storage?
3: So the question is, should there should be an internalization of external costs? This question is debated since decades on all energy generation technologies. Always, always, always. So I don't have this for a bullet, but if you start with one technology, you need to do it with all technologies. So I'm not sure it will help us to get us forward. On the other side, this question will become more and more obsolete the more we move forward to a decarbonized system. We want to go to 100% renewable based system, or not 100% renewable based, we have also nuclear which is in the projections, so carbon free system. So we get more and more to a system where this question will not be relevant because. It is the only generation source which we have in the system, so we need to accommodate this. So if we increase the price of this generation source, obviously the consumer will pay more. So if we increase the price of the transmission cost or the the grid cost or whatever it is, so if we increase the price of the generation source as such, we are not changing the business at all. So I don't believe in in trying to make this exercise or the added value of this exercise at all. And regarding the second question from from Mike, um, it's true that the market is sending an optimization signal, and the price quote the price can have an impact. Look at the price for renewable generation. Today for a consumer it is cheaper to have PV and batteries at home than to buy from the system. I quote you an example. A consumer in Germany pays roughly 14 cents for the kilowatt hour installed PV and batteries. 14 cent. And if he or she buys it from the grid, they pay 39 cents a kilowatt hour. So every kilowatt hour which I consume myself, I save roughly 19 cents because I would get six from the grid or nine from the grid to buy it back. So it's an economic question for the consumer to put batteries and the renewables together and to stabilize it. So the cost is um, a factor who will drive also the change. We see that big companies putting storage in to reduce their grid costs, to be able to provide grid services. So the peak demand over the year from them is cut. So they pay less connection costs. So there is also a cost driver optimizing the decarbonization process because we invested so much into the renewables and they're now the cheapest energy source. So my my idea is to go on, because we have no choice we want to decarbonize. We need to decarbonize, and therefore we need the renewable generation, fossil fuel-free generation, and that's what we need to, to push and all the cost related to them is part of the cost of doing business, of decarbonizing. Nobody, I think, believes that decarbonizing the society will make the cost of living cheaper, because a lot of costs, like the emissions, like the climate change and so on, have never been priced at. So we need to go forward in this direction.
0: Well, we have another question about financing and who should pay. This one's for Patrick Dembski from Geza. Uh, how do you envision an open support from member states to TSOs and grid operators' OPEX costs? if they have mostly a regulated market and grid fees? Difficult
6: question, but I will also add some points. What we mentioned today, well, I was born in the Poland where there was a still communist country, so there was such a sentence why the communists fall in Poland? Because they bravely fight with the problems that they caused by their own. Well, I don't want to be a prophet here, but we know we are causing the problems in the grid and in the energy system. Because we agreed on something that we should transition go to the green economy with the with the steps and we are still spinning and fasting the prob the process. And it's fine, although the technology must be on the board, although the people must be ready. From our perspective, uh the Last year's the energy system was simple. You got a power plant, you got a grid, you got a consumer. Now it doesn't work like this. You got thousands of power plants, different ones, not synchronized with the problems, with the different characteristics of the source, with the different attitude to the source, with the different purpose to build it. Not every source is built to produce energy. I don't know if you understand, but this is the true story about the future energy. So on the second level, you get still the same grids because you have to invest more, to inject more energy, money, more energy from the renewables, and to back up it with the sources that are not even available in the next strategy. And on the third leg, you get a customer who is wise and smart and see, I will compare the prices. Why I should buy the energy which is so expensive from the uh, the energy company? Maybe I would produce it by my own. But this is, this is not natural to the system. We have in Poland one and a half million little power plants run by the people. I always ask the people, do you want to be an electrician on the, on the next shift? Because when you get an electric car, you get the storage, and you get PV, maybe some extra that you propose for the next year, uh, next, next life, well, maybe you will get married, maybe because it heats. So you have to calculate the energy that you have. And it's not easy. Most of the people think that they will live the same life before they <laughs> install the PV. No, it is not. You have some duties on that. You have to be prepared that there will be some strain, some constraints on it, some stress in the grid. So from my perspective, I would say we need education, we need to stay in the contact with the clients, we need to help them to match the extra energy which is produced and now it's wasted. But it's not easy because it's their own energy, not ours. We can, you know, have a I don't know commercial talks with them, but I don't think it's it's enough. So we should do also more about the the education on our side maybe the, 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 the national countries, the regions, the European Commission, also we, as the big companies. And that will be the future point, that we have to, you know, this is no monologue anymore, this is a dialogue. And when you dialogue, you disagree with someone. And can you disagree on the security of the energy system? That's the key point that we have to answer on that.
0: I want to put the next question to Miriam and Marilyn. So the question, uh, Miriam, uh, I'll have you go first. Uh, The question is from Kevin Brigden. Should stationary storage in the EU avoid the use of lithium ion batteries to remove pressure on critical raw materials required for electric vehicles, which rely on lithium ion batteries? So we've talked about the different possibilities in terms of types of energy storage when you're looking and contrasting these different types are there security concerns import concerns uh scarce resource concerns that should factor into which one is chosen miriam first
4: of course we need to take into account all these aspects safety for sure uh, critical raw materials is an issue that we have talked about it and we need to consider all the technologies i have mentioned before Uh, We need to overcome both technical and non-technical barriers uh, from the technological point of view, depending on the sector, we have different energy storage needs, for example, one aspect to take into account is the duration of storage, because you may need to store energy for a few hours, days or a whole season. For example, stationary energy, if we want to save energy for the whole season. Uh, another important aspect to consider is the time of reaction. So to avoid blackouts, the electricity grid needs storage technologies that inject a large amount of energy in a very short period of time, just few milliseconds. Therefore, in this case, fast storage technologies are needed. In other cases, time of reaction is not so important. So as I have mentioned before, there is not only one single technology to face all these storage needs. We need a mix of them. And the good news is that these technologies are available. We just have to find the right balance and then we will be able able to to meet all the society needs. So we need to consider all these aspects into account to define new hybrid energy storage solutions that fulfill all the requirements.
0: Marilyn, what do you think? Should these concerns about lithium-ion batteries uh, play a role when we're contrasting the different technologies?
5: Sure, I agree with Miriam in that as a part of that due diligence, one has to look at not only the technical aspects, the financial aspects, but also the, the broader social and governance aspects. There's an active debate happening right now as to whether the lithium resource in Serbia is creating a sacrifice zone. Um, And so I think not only speaking with the community, but having community-driven decisions, right, and having um, free and prior informed consent uh, is critical for any kind of extractive industry, any kind of infrastructure project, including in the uh, supply chain of renewable energy. So I would say that absolutely all of these factors have to be considered for any kind of new installation or project. Um, And I think from what I'm, part of what I'm gathering from our discussion is really this need to have multi-day long duration storage is is critical. And that that's not coming from that won't come from a lender, a typical bank that's coming from a certain type of capital, which is venture capital is the kind that back, for example, form energy, which is a long duration storage company um, that works on uh, technology that is um, iron air batteries. And so, I think I would agree with the recommendations put out recently by the European, European Commission in that this kind of capital is is very much lagging, but needed for full energy storage in ways that are also helpful for people.
0: Patrick Clemens, is this something you think that companies think about, the potential scarcity of the raw materials that would be needed for battery storage?
3: If you follow the article from The Economist, which was published last week, you you see that there will be a crunch on critical raw materials, in their opinion, until 2030, where then it will start to de-stress again. So we will get, obviously, a market signal again about prices, and therefore technologies will become more expensive, and you will focus on the best use of these technologies. So I can imagine that lithium-ion, very specifically, should be used for transport because it has a high energy density and that others, like we heard uh, before, should then be used for stationary storage, which have less high energy densities. This is uh, for sure the, the case. But today already we have co- technologies which are discharging. There's a compressed energy storage from one of the EAST members, Core Energy, that is charging in three and a half days. So they provide you three and a half days continuous electricity, if you want. So that's already going into multi-day storage, and we're going into multi-week storage now later on. So we will have to use all the technologies. I agree with Miriam. We will need them all to work together. And there we will have an optimization done by the availability and, therefore, the price signals of the materials and by the long-term thinking of the system
0: needs. Well, some of these uh, non-battery uh, storage possibilities have been explored around the globe, including uh, um, water undergrounds. And that that's the topic of the next question. From Sanjeev Kumar to Paula, we started talking about this on the sidelines before the event, uh, so Sanjeev's question is: The U.S. is leading on long-duration underground pulped hydro for electricity storage. Should there be a dedicated call for this and other underground thermal energy storage in the Innovation Fund, so that the so that EU companies can catch up with the U.S.
1: Thank you, indeed, we had started discussing this. Well, it's not excluded in the Innovation Fund, so it can cover, but there hasn't been a dedicated. Uh, call for this, and again I go back to what uh, I've said before, it's because we really see uh, that we need to still I- explore all possible technologies and see where they fit uh, They fit best. That's why there hasn't been a dedicated uh, uh, one, but on the, ha- the other hand it is not excluded.
0: Um, does anyone else have any thoughts about this water underground storage, thermal storage? Actually, I, yeah, go ahead.
3: I could react very fast. So first of all, German underground energy storage is a very cheap way of storing bit amount of electricity, energy, sorry, for later use, for seasonal storage. Very cheap seasonal storage, heat storage. First. Second, if you have a situation like in Silesia, where you have mines a lot of mines, you could optimize this infrastructure and you could create jobs locally where they had jobs in the in the carbon industry, the mining industry. So you would have two added values at the same moment using infrastructure and, and, and doing this. The economic details need still to be worked on. That's why there's demonstration about getting prices down, getting this done, but both are are, are very viable solutions.
0: Uh, Miriam, I just wanted to get your thought on this as well. Is this a viable technology that the US is exploring here?
4: Well, uh, we have all energy storage areas included in our program, for example, and mainly thermal energy storage. We are working on latent and sensitive heat uh, storage, as well as thermochemical energy storage. We have no so many activities and underground storage, but I agree this is also a possibility that we need to take into account.
0: Um, Related question for Paula. Uh, if we are using water for this purpose, we need water for a lot of things, aquifer, storage, hydropower, industry and agricultural use. Uh, is there that concern about using water as a storage mechanism?
1: And yes, it brings us into another discussion and another topic, which is the water resilience, and then and, and which is becoming more and more scarce. Um, so that's why, again, uh, we need to really look into all, because on the one hand, uh, lithium iron. we look into the critical raw materials and how do we go about it and we need to balance that and see do we have alternatives in order not to become uh, uh, dependent on those who do have the critical raw materials. We do not want to replace one dependence by another one. Then if you look into indeed other technologies, then the, the, the downside may be the use of, of, of water. So that's again another reason why we really need to look into a broader set and as broad as possible because let 's face it there's no perfect technology uh, and and you always have uh, the positive and the downsides and the, therefore we need to balance them out
6: the, the only one that's the second life of the battery mm. this is the only <laughs> neutral technology that we can choose if we are a very large producer of the battery to the vehicles we should use it that's the only one mm-hmm. there is no single every <laughs> because when you when you look from the whole life of the project right so we have to import the battery from China Korea whatever we have to install it in Poland then we have to sell it to Germany then we will put it into the car and to sell to the people so yes we'll take care about the battery not because then we'll have some problems in the in the future with the recycling of the battery so it's not easy from the
2: technical point of view it's true Niels but we have to do yeah. it uh, I think uh, what we're talking about here is problem. One of the, the main dilemmas of the, the coming years that we want to become more independent of foreign powers, such as China. Um, and by you know, in order to do that, we might uh, jeopardize or we might do harm, if we don't do it in a sensible way, to our nature and our environment here in the EU. Uh, because some of the solutions will then interfere with the environment. Uh, some of the other stu- uh, storage solutions will interfere with the environment. And, but also, if if we go for batteries, then we need, you know, not to be dependent on China. Then we need more mining in the European Union, uh, and that will also have environmental consequences. So I think that is, as far as I can see, a dilemma, which policymakers have to f- strike a balance. Uh, in this dilemma, in the coming time, and I think what Patrick is mentioning here about second life of, of batteries, reuse, recycling, second life of different technologies—that will be a, the more we can do that, the, the better.
0: That will be part of the answer. Yeah, I guess it should no
6: perfect have perfect extra solution. point in the energy storage bank. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, <I> guess. <laughs> um, We have a question for Miriam here. The question is from Mercia Vlad. In which measures are considered the wireless energy transportation in conjunction with the new energy storage technologies? Is wireless uh, energy transportation being looked at here?
4: Well, I think this is also a point that we need to consider while talking about mobility. So we call that smart mobility because you take you need to take into account the mobility, but also charging stations, and this is also a point that we need to 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 make research on yeah i think this is very important there are many many projects going on i cannot uh, talk about all of that but there are a lot of projects working on that and i think this belong together to this smart mobility can you yeah. hear me okay
0: yes yes okay, okay uh we also had a question here uh for patrick demsky from Sanjeev Kumar Poland's geothermal action plan commits to building 100 aquifer storage and 100 large borehole storage facilities by 2040 the government will provide support for half the construction costs how can this be replicated across the EU so a is this a good program that they're running and b if it is how could it be replicated
6: <coughs> have you can you choose uh, your own country, when? It, because it <laughs> depends on the geography, you know. Uh, well, we are trying to do our best and, and use these natural advantages that we have in environment. So, yes, in the Silesia region we got a lot of mines. We are thinking how to use it. There is a lot of water. There is a lot of heat that we should use it and we are trying to do it. Well, I wouldn't say it's a booming, but it's going very, very, uh, interesting, because it's going from the local regions, and from the local municipalities, who think that it will be a better way to produce heat and, and energy on the combined level technology, than to get extra, uh, extra uh, pump from the gas or from uh, from the oil or something like this. So yeah, on the southern Poland it's getting uh, very interesting and we're thinking also about this project. We, we have chosen two or three Places, but you know, again, then we have to think also about this great hydropower power plant with the massive storage on that, and this is the environmental case. And again, we know that we have to do it, but then we have to take all those actions and 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 debates on that: is it proper or not?
0: Patrick Clemens, is this a model that you think is easily replicable? Is it a good model? What do you think?
3: If you talk about uh, thermal power generation, underground, I mean geothermal, uh, obviously it's a renewable energy source. It's considered an, an renewable energy source. There was some debate in the beginning, but it's considered a renewable energy source like the other. So it's good to use all renewable energy sources. And heat thermal, as I said before, is the cheapest storage technology which we have. So it's not covering all applications, but it's covering all the heat applications. And again, half of the energy is consumed for heating and cooling buildings. So it is very important to use heat storage and to use heat applications and also cold. So the thermal storage is really the, the, a bit forgotten technology for the moment because everybody jumps on lithium-ion. And we should understand that this is needed because in all our lives, but it's not the only solution of the silver bullet.
0: OK, we have a question that's specifically for Niels uh, from Sanjeev Kumar. Two ready solutions are A, increasing the base load renewable electricity with geothermal, and B, underground thermal energy storage for heat and electricity, which is the cheapest and least land-intensive solution. So the question is, how will you use the geothermal INI report to incentivize these solutions?
2: Okay, so so we're making in the European Parliament, we are making a, a report, an initiative report on geothermal energy right now, and I think that's what Sanjeev uh, uh, refers to. Uh, and I think we, we are looking at We basically, uh, we have the uh, diagnosis that uh, geothermal energy, there's a huge potential in many countries for geothermal energy, but it's not being used very much. So uh, drilling down two kilometers into the ground, in my own country that would be two kilometers, it it varies from where you are, Um, and having warm water uh, sucked out from the underground uh, and using that as a source of renewable energy uh, and it is a renewable energy which is not which is stable uh, in contrast to uh, wind and and solar. Uh, and we want to promote these uh, solutions because it will uh, it's a stable energy, so it will mean that we will need uh, per- perhaps the storage um, challenges will be smaller if we use this these kind of solutions. So we're looking into whether we could um, have the. European Commission or, or from a European uh, perspective that we could make um, a study on where is the potential in which countries is this relevant. Mm. In some countries it will be very relevant. In my own uh, uh, constituency uh, in Denmark that they are making this um, geothermal solutions right now and uh, I, they believe that in 25, 2025, so in two years from now they will be able to provide the citizens of the city of Aarhus with um, hot water from geothermal energy and in many countries uh, where we have you need to have district heating for this to work uh, because you need to have a district heating net in many Eastern European countries such as Poland for example they have a lot of district heating uh, so that might be relevant uh, here but the first thing we need to do is to get the overview of where is the potential uh, which countries could benefit from this And that is really the agenda we're trying to set with uh, this initiative report.
0: Well, that's all the time we have for today's discussion. I want to thank the panelists, both here and joining us remotely, for some really interesting interventions. I think, as I mentioned, this is a very hot topic. I can see by there's still lots of questions that we didn't have time to get to. Uh, So this is something that's going to be unfolding. As we said, uh, this is a recommendation. And there's a whole bunch of possibilities in terms of regulation that will be probably for the next term. Uh, But this is something that is, is going to be continued to be watched and continued to be discussed. I imagine in this room, again, we'll be discussing it again in the future. So thank you to all of you for joining us here in the room or online. Thank you to the panelists. How about a round of applause for them? And now, for those of you here in the room, I welcome you outside for a small networking break. Take care.